You're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. When the valves in veins do not function properly, blood pools in the veins causing swelling. Fortunately, treatment for varicose veins is less invasive and more successful than ever. We will discuss the latest techniques for treating varicose veins during this clinician's roundtable. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Atlanta, Georgia, is my guest, Dr. Abbas Shamsuddin, Associate Professor of Interventional Radiology in the Emory School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Shamsuddin. Thank you very much. Dr. Shamsuddin, let's begin with the basics regarding varicose veins. What causes varicose veins? We can have a list of things that can cause varicose vein. There are different factors, and if I was to guess and based on the answers by my patients, your hereditary is probably the most common reasons. Basically, if your mother has varicose veins or father has varicose veins, the odds you're going to have varicose veins. Other causes, of course, overweight, pregnancy in females. Standing for a long time has been associated with varicose veins, but not definitely proven as a cause or an underlying reason to the development of varicose vein. And that means if you have the risk for developing varicose veins, standing for a longer time is going to make it worse. What are some of the possible consequences of having varicose veins? Typically, the patient complains from heaviness, swelling in the legs, you know, the ugly-looking, gropey-like veins in the legs, of course, that we all hate some skin discoloration. All of these are things that bring the patient to the doctor. The worst case scenario, of course, is on the long run, the skin can start peeling off and what we call a venous ulcer. That is an ulcer that forms on the inside or the outside of the foot or the ankle is really a very problematic end result of these varicose veins. Tell us about the relationship between having varicose veins and deep vein thrombosis. First of all, the legs have two different systems, the deep venous systems, which is in the muscles, and the superficial venous systems, which run under the skin. If you develop deep venous thrombosis, that is a clot in the deep venous system, your body is going to rely more on your superficial venous system. Having said that, if you have healthy superficial venous system, you'll be fine. But if you have the risk of developing varicose veins, you're going to put more burden on these superficial veins, and then you have also a risk of developing varicose veins. Also, having said that, if you have varicose veins, you have a risk of having clot forming in these superficial veins that are varicose, basically, and that can be noticed with pain and swelling and achiness at the side. A lot of people will take care of their varicose veins because of discomfort or for appearance, but how does the physician know when the patient is at greater risk for deep vein thrombosis because of the varicose veins? Varicose veins themselves do not cause deep vein thrombosis. If they may, they may happen as a result of deep vein thrombosis. They can form their own clots, and we call this superficial vein thrombosis or superficial thrombophlebitis. And a patient that has varicose vein, when a patient complains of recurrent episodes of, you know, a feeling a knot or a, a hard spot under the skin or inside these veins, that means that these veins have clotted. And the doctor should be aware of that because these clots can potentially break loose and go up to the lungs or can cause a local what we call phlebitis or cellulitis or problems in the skin and the underskin. It sounds, though, like physicians can't 
completely rely on patients to report those symptoms uh, because sometimes they become acclimatized to the uh, discomfort and don't even realize how uncomfortable they were until after after they're treated. Might as well be. I mean, there's a lot of patients that think that this is how their legs should be as they grow up. And this is, you know, an important thing to evaluate. You know, when a patient comes for a physical every year, the physician needs to go very thoroughly on the physical examination looking for any abnormal bulging or swelling or pitting in the legs and keep that in mind, especially in patients that have risk factors for developing varicose veins. Tell us about some of the methods formerly used to treat varicose veins. If we go down first to the underlying problem, like you said earlier, Having non-functional valves in the legs is what the problem is. Blood is supposed to flow one way towards the heart. These veins have valves in them that allow the blood to flow only in one direction, that is towards the heart. When these valves break down and become what we call leaky, blood starts flowing in two directions, up and down, up and down, eventually stagnating down in these veins and causing them to dilate. So traditionally what has happened is these veins have been stripped out, basically a long segment in the, in the thigh and possibly the leg is cut off and removed in a procedure that we call vein stripping. Not until a few years ago that a procedure called endovascular ablation has come to light and is being more and more used, potentially replacing nowadays, actually, the procedure of stripping of the veins. And in this situation, instead of cutting that vein out, which is a long segment, it's a long operation, you know, the stripping procedure needed the patient to be put to sleep, there's some cutting involved and suturing, and there's some time off, basically left at home. Nowadays, we can burn that vein on its inside let it scar, basically, and slowly fade away. The body would resolve this scarred vein, and we would have achieved the same exact result, except that the endovascular ablation procedure really is an outpatient procedure. There's no anesthesia. The patient really steps down and walks after the procedure and goes home. If you've just joined us, you are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Abbas Shamsuddin, Associate Professor of Interventional Radiology in the Emory School of Medicine. Dr. Shamsuddin, can you walk us through a typical treatment for varicose veins using a laser? Well, typically the patient is evaluated to know the exact area of problem. And we have to identify the segment of the vein in the thigh or the leg that has the leaky valves. Once that happens, the patient is brought in and the vein is punctured somewhere around the knee, which is the exact site where the vein would have been cut out, basically. And it's entered through a small needle under ultrasound, and laser fiber is thread inside of the vein. Eventually, the patient is given a lot of local anesthetics around the vein to numb the vein and kind of spread the skin away from the vein so we don't burn the skin. And laser is turned on, and the fiber is just slowly pulled back. So basically, we are using this fiber to burn the vein on its inside. Once the fiber is outside of the vein, we're basically done. A small bandage is placed, and we put some medical compression hose on the, on the leg and ask the patient to walk for about 20 minutes after the procedure before they get in their car and go home. The procedure itself, from start to finish, takes about 45 minutes, and it's very minimally invasive. There's really no cutting, just a small area of a needle puncture, 
and is very well tolerated on the local anesthetics. What is the success rate? Up till now, we have a five-year follow-up, basically, and the success rate is about 90% of no recurrence of varicose vein after five years of treatment. What are the possible complications? When you compare it to any other procedure, this procedure is extremely low on complications. I cannot say that there are no procedures without complications. That doesn't exist. But the potential complications here, again, which are extremely rare, are a bad bruise, basically, which typically happens, and that's part of the procedure because you're injecting too much, you know, numbing medicine or that. The very remote risk of developing deep venothrombosis by accidentally hitting that deep system with a laser. Infection, of course, is always there. But again, those are extremely, extremely rare, and I typically haven't seen in my practice a single case of DVT, deep venous thrombosis, from the laser procedure itself. Tell us, how has Medicare reimbursement affected the numbers of patients seen for laser treatment? You know, Medicare does pay for this procedure, and therefore a lot of the patients are coming forward, a lot of the patients that have Medicare are coming forward for this procedure because it's extremely well tolerated. Medicare pays for the procedure just as it's paid for the stripping procedure. With one difference is that a lot of patients who would not have tolerated the stripping procedure because of their age and other conditions such as heart disease, blood pressure, diabetes, and all that, those patients would not have been good candidates for the stripping procedure because there would be a higher risk for anesthesia. A lot of these patients are coming forward and are being treated. Can we talk about the greater prevalence of varicose veins in women? There's the obvious pregnancy can lead to a greater prevalence, but can you talk about some of the other aspects? Yes, sure. First of all, you know, believe it or not, up to 25% of women will have some kind of varicose veins in their lifetime. And if you count the women above the age of 65, about 40%, at least 40% of them are going to have varicose veins. On the men's side, about 15% of men will have some degree of varicose veins in their life, and probably about 20 to 30% of men above the age of 65 will have varicose veins in their lifetime. Having said that, I think that the difference really relies on the heavy effect of pregnancy that can increase the risk of varicose vein in women. There's also the influence of the cycle. The menstrual cycle can basically in women potentially increase the risk of varicose veins because the menstrual cycle puts a stress on the pelvis and therefore we need to remember that all of these veins pass through the pelvis and can, you know, be caught and caught under stress, you know, and can increase the pressure on these valves and can also cause increase in the incidence of varicosities. What are your recommendations for treatment around pregnancy? Is it better to wait until after the pregnancy, or are there advantages to treating the veins prior to a pregnancy? If a patient who has varicose veins knows she is going to get pregnant, but at this time is not, I would recommend they get their varicose veins treated before they get pregnant. And I stress that before getting pregnant, because once the pregnancy has occurred, doctors become uncomfortable treating varicose veins for a few reasons. First of all, the amount of anesthetics that's given, the local anesthetics, is much higher than what a normal procedure would take. Number two, you know, you don't want any complication happening on a pregnant lady because that might entitle treatment and you always don't want to give medications that are not necessary in a pregnancy. 
Have we treated patients who are pregnant with this procedure? Yes, we have. And those very few patients that we've done were extremely miserable, and we were concerned about the fact that if they don't ambulate and move around, they will end up developing, you know, clots in their legs, which becomes a potential problem, you know, for their lives. As we always recommend pregnant women to exercise and to move around so that, you know, their circulation is not affected, those particular patients that we treated could not walk anymore because of the swelling and the heaviness and the pain arising from varicose veins. And we've consulted with their gynecologist and we've calculated how much medicine we can give them and we stress the fact that they have to walk immediately and all that. And thankfully, we've been pretty successful with that. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Abbas Shamsuddin. Associate Professor of Interventional Radiology in the Emory School of Medicine. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Shamsuddin. Hi, my pleasure. Thank you very much. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.